Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. What is up, my friends? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. My name is Grant Baldwin. Good to have you here with us today. Got a great show for you. We're going to be talking with the president of a major speakers bureau, and we're going to be going into all kinds of depth about speakers bureaus, what they are, how they work, how they operate, what you need to know, if you can get in with them, all of that jazz. This is going to be a lot of fun. Before we get into that, let me quickly remind you, we still have a couple seats left for the Speaker Lab Live. This is going to be a uh, an event in Nashville on May 21st. We're limiting it to just 30 people. It's going to be a lot of fun where we're going to be focusing uh, specifically on your business. So this is going to be a one-day mastermind event. This is, a uh, again, a small, intimate type of event where we can not only work with each other, our businesses and our speaking careers, but also I can personally work with you. So if you're interested in that, go stop by thespeakerlab.com slash live. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash live. Again, that's May 21st here in Nashville. You don't want to miss it. All right, today we're going to be talking to my buddy Sean Hanks. And uh, Sean actually is the uh, is the president of Premier Speakers Bureau. It's a major speakers bureau here in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, Sean and I actually got connected through a, a mutual friend of ours. And turns out, I think we talk about this, but uh, randomly enough, we live like a block away from each other in the same neighborhood. So he's like, hey, I think I'd heard your name before. Where do you live? And we realized we were in the same neighborhood. He's like, I run by your house. And I was like, Wait, what, what's your address? And I was like, I run by your house. So uh, crazy little small world there. So anyway, Sean uh, is a great guy. We had lunch recently. I've hung out a couple times and just a uh, really, really sharp, especially whenever it comes to speakers bureaus and has been in the speaking industry and the business for many, many years, has a lot of experience and has a lot of goodness to share with us today. So let's get right into it. Here is my chit chat with president of Premier Speakers Bureau, Sean Hanks. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, we're joined by my buddy, Sean Hanks, who runs Premier Speakers Bureau. What's up, Sean? How are you, man? Grant, I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing delightful. You know, we just connected, what, like a couple weeks ago or so by a mutual friend, a speaker friend, and then we got to talking and we realized we live like a block, maybe not even a block apart. Maybe. We should hum. It's a small world after all. It really is. Like, if I had an arm, I could throw a rock and hit your house, but I, I don't have anywhere near that kind of arm. But you're close do enough that, that, if, I, do that. I, if I had the right angle, I could probably see your place from ours. So, yeah, not only are we in the same speaking world, but we're neighbors. We're going to pool it up this summer and live the That's life. That's right. Uh, apologies already for uh, my paleness at the pool. 
You and I might be in the same boat, though. Yeah, I, we very well could be. We're going to be the, uh, <laughs> awkward dads with our t-shirts on all summer. So that's right. Uh, all right, people. People are already tuning out. So you run a Premier Speakers Bureau. So you know, there's a lot of people that listen to this who are, are speakers. A lot of people that are interested in speaking. And we've heard about bureaus, and it seems like this magical utopia that just books speakers and, and just <laughs> passes out dates. And so just kind of give us a high level view. Like, what is a bureau? How does a bureau even work? Yeah. Grant, if there was uh, one question that I'm asked the most often is, what is a speaker's bureau? And that, so that's a great place to start. Ultimately, we are partner with speakers, and our job is to take their momentum and multiply it. And those are intentional terms. We can't create momentum for speakers. We take speakers that have some momentum, multiply that out. But our job, we've got great relationships with event planners all across the country from just about every different market you could imagine and think of. And our job is to continually present new and interesting speaker ideas to them as they're going about their duties of planning events. So that's a high-level view, but ultimately our, our job is to find interesting and fresh speakers and put that content to the event planners. Ultimately, we can't make the decision if they book that speaker to speak or not, but we our job is to make them aware and put that information in front of them when it's timely. So in some ways, you guys are kind of the not in a negative way, but you're the middleman of you're connecting speakers who exist and like, okay, I have a message and I want to speak and I've, I've got some momentum behind me. And there's a lot of event planners and conference organizers out there that say, hey, I need a speaker on X. And you're able to just kind of bridge the gap and connect the dots for people. Is that the nutshell? Yeah, that, that's it in a nutshell. Cool. All right. So one of the things that you said there that I, I think is really key is you can't create momentum for speakers. So talk a little bit more about that. What do you mean by that? Sure. One of the questions I'm asked often is, you know, how do you start speaking? How do you create it? And to be honest, we don't have the exact answers. Great. You're great at that and coach people well in that space. Our job is to capture a speaker or relate, connect to a speaker when they have a book that's popping or a fresh story that's really getting national attention. And the national attention is probably one of, if we're putting some qualifiers on, you know, how does it work? That's where we can really step in. For someone that's, you know, at a local level or maybe even a regional level, we're not able to assist them in the best way because we're talking to a national and an international audience, specifically when you're talking about event planners. So when I say people with momentum, that book that's hitting, a topic that's really exploding and they have become kind of the go-to guru on that content. At that point, we can really take that momentum and multiply it. When I say multiply it, we put it in front of where they may be able to put it in front of three or 400 eyeballs for event planners. We can put it in front of five or 10,000. And then at that point, it's just a, it's scale. Gotcha. Throw, just throwing, you're able to throw gas on the fire when someone's already got something going. Exactly. And, and then the next step for that is really provide the back-end services of the handling calendars. Um, obviously, we handle all the financial pieces. So I, I tell speakers often their job when we represent them is to say yes to an invitation or an offer and be incredibly well-prepared, get on a plane and go speak. Our job is to do everything else. Our job is to coordinate contract with the uh, event planner who typically we have a great relationship with so that we've got history with them at that point good working relationship. We do all the travel and event logistics. We have a team of four um, that, that do all those logistics, literally airfare. We've got a pretty detailed event questionnaire. The organization or the event planner completes for the speaker. We collect everything from hotel confirmation numbers to what phone number do you call to get the ground service there, those types of things. And the speaker's job is really to go do an amazing keynote and come home and 
be compensated for that. Which is hugely valuable for speakers because I, like I personally, I don't mind the detail stuff. I like kind of that side of the business as well. But there's a lot of friends of mine I know that are just, it is a miracle they get to any event to speak. They are just (laughs) so, like they're amazing on stage, but they are just so scatterbrained on the details and figuring stuff. I remember uh, several years ago, I had lunch. A buddy happened to be speaking in town and I had lunch with him after he, I went and saw him speak and we had lunch together. And he, he's like, you know any good hotels around here? I was like, do you not have a hotel book? Like you've, you've been here and you, you don't even know where you're going, you know? So there's definitely, there's that value there for bureaus of providing that service for speakers. So what kind of speakers do you represent? You talked about like the, you know, people that are on a national, maybe some type of national momentum. So does that mean you're looking for people that are some type of celebrity or pseudo celebrity, or they have a, a bestselling book or they're in the national media or what would that look like? Yeah, Grant, that's a great question. This is a really broad brush or idea to start with, but there are really two, I think of it somewhat as a continuum, right? On one side, you do have the celebrity speaker, and that's not a negative or pejorative term. I mean, right. it is celebrity meaning you know them, right? When you, you've you seen them on TV or you saw them on Fox News last week or whatever it is, MSNBC, CNN, they were on Oprah that the celebrity is that. They're visible and recognizable. And then the other side is content speakers, right? There are a number of great speakers that you know because they write great content, not because they were on a TV show or they had a, you know, an amazing event in their life. you got one end of the spectrum, celebrity or a recognizable name. The other side is content speaker. Now, you know, the perfect marriage of a speaker is one that can do both, you know, that you start out because they've got an interesting story, but they're an amazing communicator, which I always start from the vantage point of that's a skill and that's a talent that you guys as speakers develop and that really is a a talent. Uh, So I recognize that immediately. But I mean, ultimately, someone who either started on the content side and built a brand for themselves. So when someone says a speaker, speaker X, people go, okay, I either know that name or on the, the celebrity piece. Okay, I know that story. And then the content comes once, you know, you kind of open the attendee's mind because it's a unique story that they want to hear about. Gotcha. Are there any specific, like just industries or fields that you guys try to focus on? Are you looking for speakers that can talk about, you know, from tech to healthcare to nonprofits Mm -hmm. to faith-based or all over the map? So what, is there anything that you're looking for? Right. Yeah. I mean, we're, we, we really do look for itch. I look for interesting speakers and content first. Now it has to be that they do have to have some hook That's a music term, I guess, for how do I know this person? That being the event planners, one of their first questions, whether they verbalize it or not, that's what they're asking because they know that they're ultimately the event attendee is asking that question on some level. Uh, But it really is all over the map where we have the opportunity to really work in a number of different fields. So pretty often when speakers ask me, hey, what content is hot? I tell them it's whatever you're great at, right? I mean, don't create content just to hope to hit a market. The two biggest buckets that we are always asked about are leadership and teamwork in the corporate association, education spaces, even nonprofit, whatever the content is, even if they drill down deeper, they being the event planner, they want to at some point hit some leadership and teamwork content. Now, you and I know those are really big ideas. What that looks like, it depends. Maybe you're a tech speaker and you're talking about how to use social media effectively, you can that ultimately hits on leading a team of people and trying to get either leading up or leading down people in the company to do that. But So those are the two biggest buckets. But in the business sectors, it really is all over the map. 
corporate space, uh, the association market, which is a really large one. Education is a very vibrant space, healthcare, and, and then the nonprofit space as well. So if I'm listening to this right now and I'm like, okay, there's a bunch of different topics and a bunch of different markets that I'm interested in, how much should I be considering Like how much which things are in more demand or less demand versus others versus just, well, I just, I just want to talk to this market about this subject and hopefully we can make it work. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. It's always better to fish in a bigger pond than a smaller one. Right. right. So I, I would say your content being universal is a great idea, not at the expense of, is it valuable? Right. I mean, you want the person to, when the event attendee is hearing you speak, they need to have some valuable takeaways or you won't be a speaker very long because the market will dry up for you. But the more universal the content, and that's the reason I encourage speakers to have two or three keynotes. I mean, you need to have your fastball that people know you. And when people say Grant Baldwin, there's a certain something you want them to know when they think your name. But it doesn't, you can apply that across several different business sectors. So content a speaker's uh, hard and you know strongest content might be focused in the education market, but you can develop some content, not recreating what you would share or the content you're passionate about. You can repurpose that and kind of rebuild it for the corporate market and turn it into a different type of keynote. So I tell you, there are many speakers that are very successful that maybe have re- two or three really strong, I call them fastballs, to use a baseball analogy, fastballs, but they have morphed it 20% to really work in a university crowd. And then you change a couple of illustrations in a story or joke or two, and all of a sudden that's a corporate presentation. I would totally echo that as a speaker that there's a lot of stories and bits and things that I know that works. And so I may do I could speak to a, a college market, but I could take that same talk, tweak a few things, maybe swap out that example or that illustration for this one. And the pretty much, I mean, it, you know, like you said, 80, 90% of it works really well in a totally different context or a totally different audience. Yeah, agreed. So you mentioned leadership and teamwork are some of the big ones. Those are ones are always going to kind of be there. And I know that, you know, other quote unquote hot topics and in demand topics they change over time depending on what, you know, just what's happening in the world. But are there any others that tend to come up on a regular basis, things that you're noticing? Those are the two biggest. And, you know, I would say topics that those are probably more umbrellas than they are topics. I mean, there are certainly great speakers out there that speak on leadership and that is their, that's their mainstay. But I would say for most speakers using that as an umbrella and then what, what's your content inside of there? Is it how to manage your, you know, staff better? Obviously, that's a leadership and teamwork message, but it's not just leadership and teamwork. You would give some very specific kind of takeaways for how to do that. But sales training is always a, a strong space because whatever the market, if the market is down, people need to sell more. And when the market's hot, they're staffing up and they're bringing in new team members and they need to train and educate them. So sales is always a a very strong space. And then it probably does dig into the specific market. You know, if a speaker said, I really want to just uh, kill it in the college space, well, that is going to be much more heavy on humor and some of that content. You know, right now you're talking to an 18, 19 year old. That content looks very different than when you're talking to a room full of 45, 50 year old sales leaders. So at that point, depending on the type of market that a speaker would want to get into, that would really impact what their content would look like. Let's talk about the client side for a second. For a second, why do clients come to you guys? Why don't they just go to the speakers themselves? Yeah, that's a great question. Ultimately, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the, a speaker named Donald Miller. Yeah. Donald's amazing. He the guy's just got 
he has some simple ideas that I think are revolutionary because they are that simple. And I, I steal from him often his view that ultimately when you're in any kind of uh, capacity such as the Speakers Bureau, you're a guide. You're not, mm-hmm. We're not here to sell anything. We're not the hero in the conversation. Our, our job really is to spend five or ten minutes on the phone with an event planner and maybe probably do that multiple times, uh, but understand what their need is. If you're an event planner and you Google motivational speaker or keynote speaker, you really will get more results than I think a human could look at in one lifetime. There's a galaxy of speakers there that they look to us as a resource to say, hey, we've done this a few thousand times per year, times we're in year 21 now. We bring some expertise and background and experience to the equation. Let us help guide you through the process. And ultimately, that's the approach we take. And I think that's part of the reason people continue to come back to us. And we've had such great return rate with our event planner partners because they see us as an asset and a guide versus someone here just throwing out speaker ideas, hoping one catches. You sound like you've been through StoryBrand. <laughs> oh, man. He, and oh, we have so Donald good. come in and train our staff on it. I'm, I'm that passionate about it. And disclaimer, we represent him as a speaker, but I would be saying the same thing uh, to you if we did not. And I was just a, a fan. His content is pretty remarkable. Yeah, I went through it. We're, we're talking about uh, Donald Miller runs a, a couple of day workshop here in Nashville called StoryBrand. Yeah, I went through that last summer and it was just amazing. Really, really, like you said, very, very simple, but uh, very, very practical and just uh, kind of a new way of, of looking at marketing and, and business in general. So really good. Bonus shout out there for Don and, uh, <laughs> and what, what he's up to. So, okay, let's talk about this for a second. You talked to, at the beginning a little bit about how bureaus work, but like how do bureaus get paid? Are, are the clients paying for your service or the speakers paying for that? Is there yeah. some type of fee? How does that work? Right, yeah, that, that's a fair question. No, there, there's no fee on the front end. We do work off of a basis with the speaker, and that's individual to them. And we have those conversations with each individual speaker. But ultimately, the clients don't pay anything more. What we provide is a service to the speaker, ultimately. So the benefit to us comes out of their speaking fee in terms of the services of all the back end and everything that we do. But when it comes from the client's perspective, the fees are the same. If you'd call a speaker's office or go through a bureau, the costs remain the same. So one of the things that uh, I think some speakers may have heard of and some speakers may be familiar with is the idea of being exclusive with a bureau. And there's, you know this better than I. Like, how many bureaus exist in the world? Yeah, we're very active in the International Association of Speakers Bureaus. And if, if you're ever inclined, go to iasbweb.org. The parallel would be the National Speakers Association, NSA and in, in speaker space. But So I have a little bit of intel just being very active in that organization, being on committees and teams there. Uh, there are somewhere in the space of 140 speakers bureaus, some, and that's international. So quite a few of those are in other countries outside of the U.S., and so there are, I mean, of, of all different sizes, right? I, I, know, I know for me, I've worked with, I don't know, maybe four or five bureaus and over the years, and there's some that are mom-pop shops and some that are, you know, pretty bigger operations. Yeah, that, that's a fair description. I, I would say the majority of them are smaller, maybe one, two, three team members in terms of the bureau size, the staff size. And then there's a handful that are kind of larger operations, you know, with, with larger teams and facilities, those types of things. But I would say on average, the bureaus are, are smaller in nature and, and typically run by people who have been in the event planning space for many years and understand the industry really well and, and kind of go to another side of the, the industry. 
and start a bureau. And, and typically those are smaller bureaus that are able to provide great service because they are dependent upon their core group of clients. Right. Let's talk about uh, the, we started to touch on the uh, a speaker being exclusive. So what are the different arrangements that a bureau might have with a speaker? What are the pros and cons of each of them? Yeah, that's a great question. And those are the two big tags in, in our industry, exclusive and then non-exclusive. Uh, and they really do, that. there are certain situations where one's a great fit and then one is not a great fit. And they really are contingent upon the speaker, where they are in, in what they've done career-wise. If they're in the middle of a news story that's just popped recently, well, it, it's smart on that level, I think, to go exclusive with a bureau because you go from not knowing what a speaker's bureau is and what is a speaking offer, what does it look like, how does this work, to maybe overnight after a, a news interview or two, all of a sudden you have a thousand emails in your inbox and people are asking you to speak. Well, that, that's a pretty daunting and intimidating situation to be in. Uh, it's a good one, right? I mean, we'd all nod and say that's good, but it, 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 it does have some negative sides. Exclusive, quick definition, meaning all roads lead to that bureau. Premier has about we have 71 or 72 exclusives. Um, if you go to their website, if you call their house, uh, however, you hit them up on Facebook, Twitter, ultimately they'll, they'll send you our direction. And the benefit for them is that they've got one place to, that speaker has one place to call home. We wake up, our team of 32 people wake up every day and think about them. What do we do to generate and create new business and opportunity for them? A non-exclusive would be a speaker that's on, has great relationships with many different bureaus. And I'll tell you, that's where the vast majority of speakers live. They're on many different bureaus, websites. They can, they'll get offers from all those different bureaus. And maybe the downside to that is there's not one bureau that wakes up and feels ownership of that speaker every day. And at that point, often those speakers are building their book of business themselves and then also working with bureaus in a non-exclusive way. We touched on this a little bit earlier, but how do you choose what speakers you work with? You talked about those that already have some level of momentum and that you guys can't create momentum, but is there any, there's some, like we both know there are people who are like, they have the name, but maybe they suck as a speaker. <laughs> um, so like, how do you kind of differentiate? What are some of those other factors that you may be looking for? Sure. I have kind of a, on one level, it's a gut feeling, right? And it's not only down to gut, but all of us have met with someone or sat in a room and, and seen a speaker deliver a presentation that you just think this person, they've got it. Whatever it right. is, it really is a gift. Uh, and I, I applaud the hardest uh, in the room anytime I see a great speaker deliver a great speech because it, it's an impressive thing. But, you know, having a national platform, and I say platform, uh, some type of following tribe, brand, that knows who you are, that's a great starting point, right? And I mentioned the national piece again. That is not as much, we want you to be famous, but having some awareness in California and in Oklahoma and in Florida is an important thing because, you know, for what we do, it is a national and international thing. But in terms of looking exactly for a speaker, I would say for me, a starting point would be a speaker that has just a strong, well-produced speaking video. That's a benchmark that tells me this individual takes speaking seriously. This is a career for them and not something that they're just hoping might work. You know, having a well-written speaker bio, having defined keynotes, scripted out, and scripted not being the full keynote, but, you know, one paragraph description of what those things would be. Having some solid reviews from past event planners. There's some of those just basic things that 
I think some speakers that are listening say that, hey, those are really basic and I've got all that in my back pocket. Well, that's great. You're further down the road than maybe a, a speaker that's completely new and they're building those assets as they go. Well, it's good for, uh, I think it's helpful for you to say those things because I know in, in a lot of what we're teaching with a lot of, of new speakers and even people that are been doing a lot of free things and they're trying to figure out how to get paid or how to get paid more is the bottom line is you need those basic things. You have to have a video. You have to have a website. You have to have a menu of topics that people can look at. You need some recommendations. You need a bio. And uh, I mean, the bottom line is like, this is a relationship business and people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And so you have to show that you're a normal person. So let's talk about the video. That's a key component that I think a lot of people get stuck on, but it's really, really important. What do you look for in a video? Give us just some of your high level views on videos, L- right. length and what it should be. One event, lots of events, what kind of setting, any thoughts on that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I would encourage every speaker to have two videos, and that's not to create more work for you, but know that for an event planner, and just to take a step back for a second, to give a quick snapshot of what an event planner goes through. And all of us know event planners have worked with them. It is an incredibly stressful. You're almost earning your job with every single event, right? I mean, you you do 10 great events, terrific. You have one bad one, and everyone thinks, where did we hire this person from? But event planners, are their initial job is to weed through all these options that they're looking at, who could be a good fit for this event? I feel like having a really strong three to four minute punch video of this is what I do, that's what will be viewed first. You could be amazing. They're not going to sit and watch an hour of you speaking when they're on the initial level of reviewing speakers, right? I mean, they're maybe looking at five to 10 options. An hour for each of those would be a lot of the work week for them. So a short video that just highlights this is what I do three to maybe five minutes max. And I think even then you look at your metrics, people will skip through them and just look for highlights. Mm-hmm. The, you do need a long form type of uh, video that's 30 to 40 minutes and maybe not a full keynote, but something close to that. And it can be clipped up, you know, different clips from different presentations, but, but you need to have two options there. The option giving people what they want to see when they want to see it. And the actual mechanics of the video, I always encourage speakers to have multiple shots. You know, it's great to have crowd shots, and I know some of these are expensive and take time to develop, but having some crowd shots, don't forget to mic the crowd or get the crowd a response. I can't tell you how often speakers will tell me, hey, I, I told this joke or told this story, and I really got a huge re- result from the room, a response, and then you watch the video and it's dead silence. They're remembering what happened, but I can't see that from the video because all I see is a video of a crowd sitting there. But, you know, different attire in different rooms, different clips are great. Uh, That communicates to an event planner. I've done this more than once, (laughs) right? And then just the quality of the video all around. I mean, if it looks um, slipshod and kind of half done, obviously you're communicating something to the buyer, the event planner at that point. So quality It doesn't have to be produced like a movie, but the better production value you have, the better impression it makes. Yeah, and I would totally echo all that. In fact, one of the things we always say is that to work with what you've got, do it with excellence and improve as you go. You know, my first demo video was horrible. (laughs) And speaking to a small group of about 40 people with a little handy cam on the side of a room on a tripod, and we've just improved as we've gone. You know, our 
current demo video was shot and edited by a guy who's done videos for Tony Robbins and Richard Branson and Tim Ferriss. And it's, it's a really good video, but that's, that's not what sure. you have when you're getting started, you know? So right. again, work with what you've got and improve as, as you go. So let me ask you this. So let's assume that there's going to be uh, some speakers that are listening and they're like, okay, I have, you know, I've got the video, I've got the website, I've got the topics, I've done some speaking, I'm getting a little bit of credibility, I'm slowly building an audience. How does a speaker even go about getting on a bureau's radar? I mean, I assume you guys just get inundated with, you know, will you please book me? So, like, how would that work? We have the opportunity to make a lot of new friends every day, Grant. how I look at that. <laughs> I try to always couch it to any conversation I have, any speaker in a conversation, whether it's in a meeting, phone call, email, whatever it is. There are times, and hopefully this doesn't sound trite or cliche, is there are times that we decline amazing speakers because we just don't have a place to put them, right? I mean, we're when it comes to certain content, we're heavy in that space, and I would rather miss, I'm using air quotes you can't see, uh, I would rather miss on a speaker from time to time than just add everyone and just hope something works. That's not our approach. I don't think that benefits the speaker. I don't think that benefits the event planner. And we would just be drowning in information and we wouldn't be good as guides or directing what we trying to direct advice to event planners. So really the, it is the advice I give often is for a speaker, do what you do, speak as much as you can, Continue to speak. To your point earlier, collect the video from every presentation. You might get a 20-second clip out of one presentation. That was worth that video. But ultimately, it is as we bump into a speaker in the market, that in one way communicates to us momentum is building, right? When an event planner tells us, hey, I used this speaker as a last-minute option, whatever it was, they were great. That signals to us, okay, this person has traction. I lean heavily on recommendations from other speakers or one of our speakers shares a stage or speaks at a conference and sees another speaker communicate and I'll get an email at 10 o'clock at night saying, Hey, I just watched speaker X and they killed it. Well, that of course, the next thing I do is Google who is speaker X because I want to know who they are and bump into them. So to be frank, the cold press of I'm going to mail my materials and just hope they get seen. That's a hard way to do it because we do get inundated with packages. A phone call or an email is great. We're not always able to respond back with that same. I try to, if someone calls me, I try to call them back, email, email them back. But ultimately, it's a slow persistence in building that relationship. And over time, it will develop. Yeah, totally would agree with that. that if you just blindly mail packages to a bunch of people and just uh, kind of the shotgun approach and hurry up and wait, typically doesn't open doors. And I like that you mentioned that uh, a lot of referrals come from speakers because uh, good speakers are really, really tough critics of other good speakers. You know, right. like there's, you know, when people ask me like, who's the best speaker you've ever seen? Like, I mean, there's a handful of people that come to mind, but you know, even like some people that are really good, but you're just like, I don't know. We all kind of have that expectation bar that's pretty high. So if you get that recommendation from another speaker, that can definitely go a long way. One of the things I want to touch on here is you've mentioned keynotes before. Do you primarily focus on keynote speakers or breakout speakers or seminars or what are the different types of speakers that you guys typically do business with, or even just in the market in general that you see opportunities for? Yeah. And I think there is a market for each of those. Um, I would say, the bureaus, we probably, or we definitely do, book more keynotes than anything else. And that's because I think on some level, that's how conferences are built, right? I mean, they're, they're built for a 60-minute slot here, a 60-minute slot here. We do see more and more organizations asking, hey, can they do a keynote, right? Can they be our, our keynote headliner, especially for associations or corporate groups that are opening a multi-day conference? But then can they deliver a breakout later in the afternoon and unpack and really dig in more, kind of a more uh, roll up your sleeves and 
what about this? How does this work type of approach? So uh, Keynote definitely is still the mainstay, and that's what we are most of the time asked to provide. But I, I, more and more groups are asking for both, right? They want someone to keynote and then break out. We rarely have an organization say they just want to book a breakout speaker. And I think that's a function of cost, right? I mean, you're, we're often maybe in a space where fees are higher for those types of groups or speaker fees are higher for those keynotes. So breakouts, I do think groups maybe look more local or smaller fee type of speakers, maybe uh, you know newer speakers to the market to fill that content. And then the keynotes are kind of more of the headliner or, uh, you know, name or content speakers. Gotcha. That makes sense. Let's talk about this and then we'll kind of wrap up here. So you work with on both sides of it. So you work with speakers and then you also work with clients. Since you work with, you know, literally thousands of clients each year, what are things that you do that makes the client's life easier? You know, because I think a lot of speakers who may be listening to this are like, I would love to work with the Bureau. It may not happen or it may not be on the radar for a while. So I'm um, both the speaker, the quote-unquote talent, but I'm also running the business and trying to provide a good customer service experience for our clients. And I know for us, and one of the things that we've learned over the years that is the easier you are to work with, uh, the better their experience. And so I always jokingly tell my assistant, like, if you kill it on your side of the customer service and you provide an amazing experience, then I, even if I'm a mediocre uh, speaker, then <laughs> they have a good experience. They, like, they write recommendations recommendation letters and they'll mention her by name because she was so good to work with you know wow so talk to me give me some feedback there for speakers that are just like how do we when we're working with clients how do we have those type of experiences that make it a win for the client that we're working with sure i tell you from the speaker point of view i, I tell speakers this all the time and it, it's there are a lot of people who will laugh when they hear this because i say it too much but an amazing just killer keynote is the starting line that that's not the finish line right i mean if you get paid to speak you better be great at it, and you better get on stage and deliver an amazing keynote. And while, yes, we ask for recommendations, and people are gracious, and they give them and say, Grant did an amazing job. He delivered an amazing keynote. They didn't impress anyone because they expected that, right? So the things you can impress on, and that's overstating it. Obviously, you got to do great. That's an accolade. But the thing that you can really impress with is that very thing. Like you just mentioned, your assistant blows people away. I mean, we aim for that. We have a very robust back-end system. It's all web-based. People, our organ- clients, event partners, and speakers, they sign e-contracts when I mean, there's no paper being shuffled around. Our entire advance process, people can log in on their phone, sitting in bed at night. We all do that too much, but they can go in and fill out all the event information, the whole questionnaire on their phone. It's all web-based. We can log into it. The organization can, and the speaker can, right? Those are really simple things. We do a lot of gifting throughout the process and them cool little things just to say, hey, thanks. We really take the approach, and I think it would benefit any speaker listening. If you take the approach that the event planner is really the hero in this conversation, I mean, they're ultimately putting their neck on the line for you as a speaker, and they're doing that most often through us as a speakers bureau. We want them to get the win, right? We want the standing ovation, them to be able to sit on the front row next to the CEO and bask in a little bit of glory for putting all of this together. So when you take that approach that, yeah, they want a great keynote, but man, that's the starting point. That's not the end all. Yeah, for sure. I always kind of jokingly say like, yes, if they're bringing in, they're hiring you as a keynote, you're a key part of the conference. But remember, you are are one very small part of a (laughs) lot of moving pieces and a lot of details that they need to to keep. So 
whenever you show up. And I know for clients, when they tell us, like, oh, you're so easy to work with, like, good. That's the way it should be. Like, I don't <laughs> want to be the, the prima donna needing my red Skittles or something or my European right. imported water at a certain temperature before you can go on. Like, just be low maintenance, and it makes their life so much easier. Grant, I tell you, we, the, the thing we get comments on more than anything else isn't the speaker was great. Obviously, they say that. But the thing they people comment on the most is that speaker, it seemed like they genuinely cared, right? Like they wanted to do a pre-event phone call to discuss content. They, I told them, I asked them to be there at 830. They got there at 745 to make sure their PowerPoint was there. And they picked up a chair and moved it because they saw it needed to be moved. And those, those types of things, and I'm not saying, you know, move into manual labor, but at the same time, just the impression that, hey, I'm not a hired gun, I'm not rolling in and speaking for 60 minutes, and then I'm out the door, right. I'm investing in your conference. And I'm talking about maybe 30 minutes. You don't have to give them a whole day, but you show up 30 minutes early and say, hey, let's talk through this one more time because maybe something changed You know, after a presentation yesterday afternoon and you want me to tweak just a little bit or lean into something else. Is there anything like that? The answer to that is usually no. We want what we've talked about, but it makes a big difference to them. Right. Yep, totally. Yep. All those little nuances make a huge difference. All right, last question here. One of the things, uh, and I didn't prep you for this, so I'm going to put you on the spot, but I always like to hear from speakers and people in the industry, a time where it can't be worse than this. All right. Now, a lot of times we hear from speakers about some story about they just bombed and it just they were doing a talk and it just went off the rails. But you come from a different perspective. So maybe, I don't know, maybe you had some type of travel hiccup with getting a speaker to the right place or I don't know, anything come to mind? Any go-to story that it can't be worse than this? Oh, Grant, well, weather is the ultimate uh, bugaboo of what we do, right? So there's hopefully I've, with through heavy counseling, I've shed all these painful memories of, you know, the airport's frozen, and especially when it hits the Northeast and there, yep. there are speakers stuck. I'd say, I mean, we the thing we work really hard on is the best time to prove value is in the worst moment, right? When we just recently had a speaker a very recognizable name you would know who has some health issues and had to cancel an event. I mean, that was that's a really painful phone call for us to make. But man, compared to what the event planner is going through, I mean, we're calling to tell them, hey, you know, two months out, the big name that you've been marketing and talking about is no longer going to be there. Yeah. And, you know, that doesn't happen often, maybe once or twice a year. But out of a few thousand events each year, the numbers just catch you. But yeah, I mean, that's the moment when you can shine, right? You can either kind of cower and say, this is awful, or you can say, all right, let's deliver in a big way, and you find a great speaker to step into that spot, and you solve it, and ultimately, that's how you deepen a relationship, and people remember that, right? They remember, hey, five years ago, man, you really you really pulled me out of the fire. Right. I, I tell you, the one event that comes to mind is we represent a lot of the people in media, a very recognizable media figure you would know, and I won't say his name because it would embarrass him, but had an event in... I want to say it was San Francisco, somewhere on the West Coast, and his plane got great. They had to land in Vegas at about 1 a.m. He was flying through the night to get there. And these are the cool moments where you say, man, we represent some really cool people because I mean, we have a team on staff that stands by, and when that happens, you call them and they help you out and solve the problem. The guy landed in Vegas, connected with a car service, got in the back of the car, went to sleep, and drove through the night showed up at the event the next day. The event planner had no idea. He had delivered a 9 a.m. keynote that next morning, and then he let us know after the fact, hey, I did this. And that blew me away that a guy that certainly you could explain away, hey, the plane was grounded, what are you going to do? But when those types of things happen, that starts out as a couldn't be worse than this and ends up 
a great story that you talk about for years to come. Yeah, I've had two times where I had to drive through the night, and you just you do what you got to do to get there. So that means <laughs> there's right. times where it's just it's not glamorous, and uh, you got you just got to show up and deliver. So, well, Sean, thanks for the time, man. Really appreciate it. Hey, if people want to check out Premier and what you guys are up to, and uh, even I've always recommended two for speakers. Go to a speakers bureau site, especially Premier. They have a great site, but just see what topics they book for and see what speakers are speaking about, just to get some ideas of what's available and what's out there in the market. So, where can we find you guys? Yeah, you go to Premier Speakers. Dot com. It's a simple, simple uh, place to get to. But it, I tell you, the topics we try to be very upfront. Content's all there in the front in terms of the topics that are the hottest uh, of the day and featured speakers, exclusive speakers. A lot of that information is really transparent on the front of our site. Awesome. Well, thanks, Rehan. Appreciate the time, buddy. Yeah, great to connect, Grant. Thanks so much. All right, there you go, my friends. Hope you enjoyed that chit chat with Sean Hanks of Premier Speakers Bureau. Really good stuff there. Uh, lots of lots of stuff that we cover there. So definitely uh, stop by thespeakerlab.com. Check out the show notes, links, everything we discussed there. Uh, also, just uh, several free downloads, and, and uh, we got an, uh, a free email course about how to get started as a speaker over there. We also run some uh, some free trainings and live webinars from time to time, so you're definitely going to want to check that out as well. All of that can be found over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, uh, I think that wraps up today's episode. Boys and girls, don't forget about the Speaker Lab Live. Again, that's going to be May 20th. 21st in Nashville. You can get all the details about that over at thespeakerlab.com slash live. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash live. We will catch you next time, my friend. You're awesome.